When Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the multitudes spread their garments and their leafy branches on the road before him. And the multitudes going before him and those who followed after were crying out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? When Jesus entered into the city, he created quite a stir and raised a lot of questions. It did not compare, however, to the stir that was created and the questions that were raised when he entered into the womb of a virgin. And that was especially true of Joseph. For when Mary was unexpectedly found to be with child, Joseph had an expected human reaction. We're studying the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the first chapter, verses 18 and 19. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Matthew tells the story of Jesus' birth from Joseph's perspective. Luke tells it from Mary's. And as we noted last week, the the genealogies also follow that pattern. Matthew records Jesus' legal lineage through Joseph, and Luke, his actual human lineage, through Mary. Well, this is Joseph's story. He and Mary were betrothed when he discovered she was with child. Now, we need to understand the customs of Jesus' day to to understand this betrothal because we have nothing like it today. It was more than an engagement, but less than a marriage. A couple usually became engaged at a very young age, the engagement actually being arranged by their parents. They then were generally given the opportunity to ratify what their parents had done by formally agreeing that they would be wed. And at that point, they entered into a one-year betrothal. During that time, they were known as husband and wife, but they didn't live together. They did not enter into a sexual relationship. If, during the course of the year, they decided not to marry, it was necessary for them to actually divorce. And if the man was to die during this period, his betrothed would be known as a virgin who is a widow. Well, it was during this time, before they were actually wed, and before they came together physically, that Mary was found to be with child. 
Now, Luke sheds a little additional light on this discovery. He tells us that after Mary was informed that she had been chosen to miraculously bear the Son of God, she went to visit Elizabeth, who was six months pregnant with the forerunner of Christ, John the Baptist. No doubt it was when she returned home after her three-month visit that she was found to be pregnant. It may well have been obvious by then. Now, Matthew informs us immediately that she was with child by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph didn't know that. Not at first. And I, I seriously doubt that Mary would have told him that. So while he must have found it hard to believe, knowing Mary as he did, the only logical explanation for Mary's condition would have been that she had either been violated unwillingly or had been unfaithful to him before or during her three-month visit to Elizabeth. And since there's no indication of the former, he had to assume the latter. And no doubt it devastated Joseph. And it required a response on his part. He was a righteous man, and his reputation was on the line too here. You know, most would assume that he had violated the betrothal period and had engaged in premarital sex with Mary, which is, as we know, against God's will. For as we read in Hebrews 13:4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Joseph hadn't been guilty of fornication and he didn't want anyone to assume that he had. But neither did he want to shame Mary any more than was necessary for her apparent sin. So rather than choose to have her disgraced in public or call for her stoning, which he had the legal right to do, he decided to quietly divorce her and let that be the end of it. He knew he wasn't responsible for the child in her womb, and he felt no further obligation to her or her child until he received an angelic revelation. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now, the angelic revelation that Joseph received wasn't quite as shocking as the one Mary had received some three months earlier when out of the blue she heard that she had been chosen to bear the Son of God. But it was still a most unusual revelation, and I 
doubt this explanation for her condition had crossed his mind at all. An angel was telling him in a dream that he shouldn't be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Because that which had been conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. Now, he apparently took it at face value. He didn't even ask, how could that be possible? Mary, on the other hand, had been just a little more curious. (laughs) When told she would conceive in her womb and bear a son, she asked, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel explained, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And the angel then said, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary simply responded, behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Now, we're not told exactly how God did it. But somehow, he took up residence in the womb of Mary. And nine months later, the virgin gave birth to God in the flesh. The pre-existent Christ came to earth as a man through a miraculous virgin birth. Now, I know some find this hard to believe, but it's no harder than believing Christ arose from the dead after three days in the tomb. Mary believed the angel, and so did Joseph. And after explaining Mary's condition, the angel went on to tell Joseph that Mary would bear a son and that he, as the legal father, would name his son Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means Jehovah. Actually, Yahweh is salvation. Joseph was to name him that because Jesus would save his people from their sins. Matthew then offers a prophetic retrospection to confirm what the angel told to Joseph, something Joseph may or may not have understood. Matthew inserts these words. He says, now, all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Matthew offers confirmation to the virgin birth by taking us back to the prophecy spoken by Isaiah over 700 years earlier. And in order to understand this prophecy, we need to go back to the day in which it was spoken. In the seventh chapter of Isaiah, we discover that Ahaz, the king of Judah, 
was afraid that his nation was about to be conquered by the combined forces of Israel and Syria. Isaiah was therefore sent to assure him that God would protect them. Ahaz was told that he could ask for any sign he wanted to confirm Isaiah's message, but he refused to ask for a sign, primarily because he'd already decided to seek help from Assyria rather than from God. Isaiah therefore declared that the Lord himself would give Ahaz a sign, that a virgin would be with child and bear a son, and she would call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Isaiah goes on to declare that before the boy would get old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, that the Assyrians would turn on Judah, would devastate the land, and humiliate the king. Ahaz was making a big mistake, and God would make that clear through a sign, the birth of a child. Now, obviously, the sign given to Ahaz wouldn't be the birth of Jesus some 700 years after Ahaz died. So this prophecy had to have a dual fulfillment, one for Ahaz and one that went far beyond Ahaz. How it was fulfilled in Ahaz's day, we, we can't be certain. You know, some have suggested that the birth of Isaiah's second son, recorded in the 8th chapter, was the sign for Ahaz. But he wasn't named Emmanuel, God is with us. He was named Mahir Shalal Heishbaz, which means swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. Now, Isaiah was told to name him that because before his son would talk, the wealth of Syria and spoil of Israel would be taken away by Assyria, and they would then sweep into Judah like a flood. Now, the birth, obviously, of Isaiah's son was related to the sign, but it was not the sign given to Ahab. So whose birth was the sign? Well, the best suggestion I've read is that when the forces of Israel and Syria suddenly withdrew from Judah, that a mother or most likely numerous mothers celebrated by naming their babies Emmanuel. God is with us. And... That every time Ahaz would hear of a baby being named Emmanuel, he would be reminded that Isaiah had said before that baby reached the age of discernment that Assyria would turn on him. And that the folly of his decision not to trust God and his prophet would be borne out. That seems to make sense to me. But then... Wasn't the prophecy primarily about 
a virgin giving birth? Wasn't that the focus of the sign given to Ahaz? Probably not. Because the word Isaiah used simply referred to a young woman of marriageable age. She would most likely be a virgin, but the word doesn't demand that she be a virgin. The sign to Ahaz, therefore, was not the virginity of a mother, but that a son would soon be born and that he would be named Emmanuel. God is with us. Like many prophecies, however, this prophecy would also be later fulfilled in a way not even imagined by the prophet. A fulfillment that would come true 700 years later when a virgin would actually find herself with child and the child would actually be God with us. Emmanuel. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew was making that amazing aspect of the ancient prophecy known. 700 years before his coming, Jesus' miraculous entrance into the womb of a virgin had been foretold. We conclude our look at Joseph's dilemma with an obedient resolution. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took her as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph didn't question the angelic message. As soon as he awoke, he arose and made arrangements for the wedding. He no longer feared for his reputation in taking a pregnant bride. And I seriously doubt that he tried to explain the situation to anyone. He knew what was going on. And he was willing to take the scorn of those who didn't in order to have the privilege of raising God's son as his own. And he respected Mary's unique position as the one carrying the Son of God by abstaining from intimacy with her until after Jesus was born. They did, however, contrary to the doctrine of the perpetual virginity of Mary, enter fully into the marital union after the birth of Jesus. That fact is confirmed by the reaction of the inhabitants of Nazareth some 30 years later when they found it hard to believe that Jesus, the Jesus who had grown up in their town, was actually performing miracles. Matthew would record them as saying, Is not this the carpenter's son? 
Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? They didn't yet understand who Jesus was. But Joseph did, even before he was born. And because of that, Joseph was willing to surrender his reputation and his all in service to the Son of God. I trust we are willing to do the same. Listen.